Welcome back to Next Level Health and Crypto, where we talk about all things health and maximizing your performance in all areas of life. And of course, we talk about cryptocurrency. You know I love me some Mr. Bitcoin. Currently, it's sitting in at around $23,000. Let's go. Got my lowest buy-in at about 15900 Anyway, this podcast is actually not going to be about crypto. I'm actually going to be ranting in this podcast because... There's something I want to talk about that it's just wrong. And I thought people would have a little more common sense than this, but I do think that, well, common sense these days is going out the window. So what do you really expect, right? The crazies are out. So I'm driving around Tampa. And one of the first observations I had driving around downtown Tampa was, man, they have a really, really huge hospital. Massive. It's probably the biggest building in Tampa is the hospital. And it got me thinking about, you know, other cities and how massive hospitals are, which led to the next line of thought, which was, why do we need hospitals so big? Is it just because, you know, our population is so, you know, big at this point that you know, there's just going to be a lot of people in the hospital at one particular time. Is it more to do with the fact that the, you know, the greatest generation, right? They are, you know, there's so many of them that there's just, there's almost more old people than there is young people right now, right? Just due to that generational boom and the kind of lack of, you know, since that time, people wanting to have kids has kind of dwindled. And now there's a lot of people in not only millennials, but also with Gen Z who don't want to have kids at all. That's becoming increasingly common. So is it that? I mean, why is that, right? I mean, it just, it seems odd to me that the biggest buildings in our cities would be hospitals. I know that's not in every city. And it got me thinking about just what has happened to people over the last 50, 60, 70 years And one of the big major changes that happened in the 70s, actually, no, even earlier than that, was the introduction of processed foods. It was the introduction of no longer were people just eating milk, beef, butter, rice, potatoes, steak, vegetables. No, we're now... You know, since that time, we're now eating everything. If you look at an ingredients label, it has a minimum six, seven, eight ingredients, if not more. And most of them are unrecognizable. Most of them are chemicals, fillers, additives, artificial sweeteners, seed oils, you know, chemically altered forms of sugar, chemically altered fats, right? You just look at an ingredients label. No, I even forgot about the preservatives as well. And we have started eating all these just these processed foods and our obesity rate has just skyrocketed since this introduction, since we got away from just real actual single ingredient type foods. And they're just so prevalent today. And as someone who does a lot of Instacart shopping for people, you know, I see what people buy on the regular and a vast majority of it is 
processed food, processed bread, processed chips, processed ice cream, processed meat, processed, you know, everything. And that got me thinking more about maybe that could explain why these hospitals are so big. We just have so many sick people, right? And it's almost kind of sad in a way because really that should be one of the smallest buildings if society is running really well, but our food system has become so poisoned that the hospitals are now the biggest buildings and the biggest business in our cities because there's just so many sick people, more than we even realize. As we know that if you are obese, your chances of getting all sorts of multitude of diseases, whether it's heart disease, whether it's cancer, whether it's diabetes, whether it's certain viruses that have recently come into play, right? We saw that if you were overweight, you had a, a much larger increase of, you know, suffering from from that. So our obesity rate has skyrocketed, and now our hospital buildings are are massive to make up for that. And I just feel like I feel like that's wrong. I feel like that doesn't show that society is working well. That shows that most of the money is going to the big business of hospitals and not a lot of money is is going into other things now one of the re- one of the reasons why this sort of came to mind as well and i wanted to do a podcast about it was i recently had an experience here in florida where i was out one night doing uber eats and i got the dun 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 the alert and those of you who do uber eats know that sound that there's an order that I could accept. And the order was for McDonald's, which I do, well, before I got kicked off of Uber Eats, actually, <laughs> I was doing, you know, at least 10, no, maybe that's an exaggeration, at least five McDonald's orders per night. And McDonald's, my friends, is absolutely packed every single night. They do so many people into McDonald's, it's it's crazy to me. But, you know, that's what, that's what you do on Uber Eats. They've already made their decision. I pick up the order. I deliver to them. You know, I'm not going to not deliver just because, again, it's free country. You want to eat McDonald's, eat McDonald's. So I get this ping, right? And so I, you know, accept it. It was a, it was a good order. So I start following where the map is showing me to go. And the map is taking me to a hospital. And I thought, this is strange. Why would there be a McDonald's in a hospital? In a hospital, this must be some sort of error. I, I kind of expected actually that it would, there was just some sort of error in the system and I'd show up and there'd be nothing there and I'd have to call and be like, hey, something's wrong with this order, which can happen from time to time. But no, I pulled up, parked, walked into the hospital, and there it was, connected to the hospital, a McDonald's. Picked up my order, delivered it, and I actually did a lot of hospital deliveries. <laughs> In fact, I actually think that they might have banned Uber Eats from this McDonald's hospital because one night I pulled up and there was probably five cars all in the sort of kind of the more emergency area where, you know, people are supposed to park to like go into the hospital if they need to go quickly. And it was just five or six cars all sitting there with the their hazard lights on. And I'm pretty sure it was all Uber Eats drivers that were there to pick up orders from this McDonald's. And I, I noticed that I think they banned it because I no longer get any orders from there 
So I think they must have decided, you know what, we should probably not do Uber Eats from here because like there are so many cars here for these orders that we're literally like blocking the ambulances from being able to get to the spots they need to get to, to like, you know, save people's lives. So I think it was a good thing, but I just got so frustrated thinking about this McDonald's being in a hospital. And again, I am someone who believes in freedom. And I think that you as an individual in America should be free to choose. If you want to eat a McDonald's, you have a right to eat a McDonald's. I'm not here to stop you and tell it, say you can't eat a McDonald's. But I thought we had sort of some some common sense of like, well, we all know that McDonald's isn't good for us. I mean, I think even people that eat at McDonald's know that this isn't good food. This is mostly, you know, highly processed food, mostly hydrogenated seed oils, mostly just, you know, sugary sodas. Usually, you know, the bread is very processed. You know, any of the buns and stuff are going to be highly processed. Meat is highly processed. Right. It's just it's just a processed it's it's processed foods. That's that's all they really are. And so everyone knows that McDonald's isn't healthy, right? We all know this. But it's cheap, and so some people, you know, feel like, hey, it's a good deal and I need food, so so they go. That's fine. But I thought, man, you know, we all gotta have a line somewhere. Just kind of a line in the sand of like, okay, we're not gonna go over this line. You know, maybe maybe we'll toy it, toy with the line a little bit. Maybe we'll step our toe over the line a little bit. But but we know we have this general line that we're we're not going to cross. And I sort of thought like McDonald's in a hospital, that's that's crossing a line. <laughs> you know, I'm thinking like, man, not only you know we got people in the hospital who are sick, right? That's why they're there. No one goes to the hospital because things are going great, right? Maybe 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 a checkup. Maybe, maybe that's the one thing you're going that you're, you're, you're fine. You're just getting a quick checkup. That's fine. But you know, vast majority of the time you're at a hospital, it's you're sick. You're trying to get well, you're trying to get better. And I'm thinking, we all know McDonald's isn't healthy for us. We all know the people in here are sick. You know, maybe, maybe common sense says we shouldn't have a McDonald's here. I mean, maybe we, maybe we have a Panera here. Maybe we have a Jamba Juice. Maybe I'm not saying those are like the healthier things ever, but I mean, shoot, <laughs> it's a lot healthier than a freaking McDonald's hamburger. You know, if you got a, a sandwich from Panera, at least you're, you know, talking non-processed bread, you know, some lunch meat, which probably is processed, but less processed, you know, some veggies, tomato, you know, some fresh vegetables, right? You know, Panera's got some healthy stuff. It's it's not all that bad. It's it's a little more more simple ingredients and singular ingredients than a McDonald's per se. So we've got all these different options that we could put there at this hospital, but yet a McDonald's goes in. And I'm thinking, you know, those those hospitals, that's probably uh that's probably a good business move. You know, because people that are in, staying in the hospital you know, maybe it's either people that are watching over their loved ones. Well, they're hungry. They're going to go down. They're going to grab McDonald's. You know, the people that are sick in the hospital, they might be like, hey, you know, go grab me some McDonald's. Right. And guys, I even I've been in the hospital. Of course, we've all been in hospitals, but I try not to be in hospitals. That's what my whole podcast is about, basically like preventative. So you don't have to go to a hospital really ever, unless emergencies. And I remember getting the hospital food and I was thinking, oof, like, this isn't really like very healthy food, you know, 
this isn't really healing food. The food that I, the meals that I had when I was there, I had knee surgery. So I was there for a bit and the food was subpar. I'm thinking, man, this is, this is great business for the hospital, right? They got McDonald's down there. I mean, they're going to get a lot of frequent visitors who are going to keep coming back for more, (laughs) you know, and another kind of sad, sort of sad thing I saw too, was seeing a lot of the nurses and a lot of the doctors come down and also eat McDonald's. And, you know, again, it's not the end of the world. And, you know, maybe maybe some of them were just really hungry that night and wanted some McDonald's. It might not be a regular thing for them. You know, I don't know how many people were regulars there as far as the nurses and the doctors. But I kind of had this, I saw some, some nurses and doctors that were a little on the chubbier, obese side. And this is going to sound real harsh. And I promise you, I'm not that shaming anybody. But I can tell you right now, if I tried to get hired as a personal trainer, if I went to a gym and said, hey, I want to sign on as a personal trainer, and I was really overweight, they probably aren't going to hire me. And that's just, that's reality, right? That's not me fat shaming someone. That's not, it's just the reality, right? If you're a personal trainer and you're a gym, you're not going to hire an obese person to, to be the advertisement for your personal training. That just doesn't make any, it's just not, it just doesn't make any sense. Like as much as that might offend somebody who, oh my gosh, like they should hire him anyway. It's like, eh, it's just not the reality, right? I don't get to, I don't get to be on runway models. I don't get to like, you know, be on a runway, right? With models, right? Cause you know, whatever. Cause I mean more, that's more of probably a female example, right? If you're a female, right? You don't, not every female gets to walk the, you know, whatever it's called because they're not six foot five and you know, a hundred pounds. <laughs> so just the reality, right? There are things that you aren't, aren't going to be able to do based on your body composition, your body type. So I, I don't expect to walk into a gym overweight and get a job as a personal trainer. So I think the same rule can kind of apply to someone in the medical field who studies studies that for a living, right? Went to these nurses go to school for, you know, God knows four or five years. Who who knows how much they actually learn because they're just cramming material and then forgetting it for the next test. And the nurses are just stressed to high heck. And it was just kind of sad to see these nurses who were overweight and who were eating McDonald's, I'm thinking like, you're, you study this, right? You've studied this for years. Like what, what are you being taught here? You know, like with the, with the amount you paid for your education and the high level it's supposed to be, why are you, why are you overweight a and B, why are you eating at this McDonald's? Like, don't you know better? Like you're a medical, you're a nurse, you're a doctor. What are you doing here? Right. And the sad reality is a lot of our doctors, and nurses are not educated on nutrition. They're educated on how to save someone's life, which is important. They're educated on what drugs to use for what symptoms. They're educated on, you know, bodily processes and everything like that. But nutrition isn't really a focus. In fact, you'd go to, if you went to a lot of schools right now, they'd still tell you that saturated fats are bad. They'd still tell you to avoid animal fat, which is absolutely ludicrous. <laughs> if there's anything I'm running towards, it's animal fat, not away from. But again, this is what is being taught in universities to nurses, doctors, right? They're being lied to essentially. They're being 
just taught incorrectly. And that's why I'm not a big proponent of university type schooling. I think a lot of it is kind of run by the government. And I think a lot of it is run to basically teach you incorrectly. I think more of a, a free free market, the, the internet and the sort of more free market nature of the internet is going to allow for more correct information than something biased like a university, which all the universities nowadays are just super woke and you have to adhere to their principles and they're, but they're being taught wrong. You know, they're being taught, people are being taught to avoid animal foods and then that red meat is bad. I think that's, <laughs> I can't believe I even believed that for as long as I have. Now I eat red meat every single day because <laughs> I realize I was wrong and what I was being taught was wrong. And this is what's this is what is being taught to experts, professionals, people making hundred, two hundred thousand a year. This is what's being taught to them. This incorrect way of thinking about holistic health. And like holistic health isn't even I mean, you're probably considered a loony if you bring up any sort of holistic health or Chinese medicine, right? You're probably looked at as as a lunatic in these universities, in these in these, you know, places, which is which is so sad, you know. So sad. I think every doctor should be required to take, you know, Chinese medicine as one of their classes. They should be taking multiple nutrition classes. It's just it's just insane to me that the lack of just basic knowledge that these experts, these professionals, these, these people making just gobs amounts of money are are lacking, you know. And if you're listening and you're one of those people, well, I guess prove me wrong. Prove that you Prove that you know about holistic medicine. Prove that you know about Chinese medicine. Prove that you know about nutrition. Prove you, prove you know more than just here's a symptom, here's the drug that we prescribe. Right? Prove it. Now, yeah, so just it just made me really sad. I, I think, I guess I'm not ranting as much now as I'm more, there was, there was a time where I was like, oh my gosh, I was so mad about it. Now I guess I'm just more, just kind of feel bad for, that that's the way things are and that's the way things are taught. And I just, the only thing I can do is try to combat it with, you know, a podcast, a video, you know, using my influence I have with people to be like, Hey, like I've switched my diet to a very like carnivore diet with animal fats. Like that's 80% of what I eat now is ground beef, steak, pork, chicken, dairy, like that's 80% of my food. You know, the other 20% is probably fruits, some vegetables, and then, you know, rice or, or you know, I can't do gluten, unfortunately, so it rules out a lot of grain, t- grain type options for me, but, you know, I still do oats. So, yeah, maybe that's like 10, 20%, but 80% is meat, butter, milk, cheese, like that's like animal fats, ghee, you know, that's that's... That's what I've realized as I've researched and gone through the rabbit holes. That is what the research is telling me. And the more free market research, not not what I'm taught at a university or what I'm forced to taught based on their biases. No, I use the internet. I use the power of a more decentralized network that has information all over the globe from experts all over the globe. And I can choose who I want to listen to and choose who I think is telling the truth, test them out, and then... You know, if they're true, then I'll continue to follow them. If they're not, then I will uh, leave them leave them be and find someone who uh, is more truthful, is using unbiased studies, and is you know putting their money where their mouth is. And that's what 
that's unfortunately what a lot of these people at universities like don't do, you know, and it's sad. It's really sad. I'm hoping that we can change that. So that's why I am trying to, you know, be, be a health coach myself and just get the, get the word and the information out there on just what is really truly nutritious. And guys, I even started recently. This is, I'm pretty excited about this, but I actually recently got a brand of basically I'm ingesting every day. I'm having 600 milligrams of liver, spleen, pancreas, kidney. I think there's one more, right? Because our ancestors used to eat the whole animal. They used to eat everything, right? They didn't leave. They didn't, they didn't throw out the liver. They didn't throw out the heart. They didn't throw out the kidney. They ate those. They, they even ate the testicles of animals. And there's actually some crazy studies right now being done on if you eat the testicles of animals. I know it sounds ridiculous and gross, but like these are like superfoods <laughs> for, for humans, man. It's, it's insane, dude. It's so cool. I love it. So I've, you know, moved more and more towards a carnivore style diet and I've, I've loved it. It's brought me probably the most consistent physical energy I've ever experienced. I don't, I don't nap during the day. I can't remember the last time I napped during the day. Like it's been years since I've needed a, a midday nap or anything. Years. I don't even think about it. All my sleep is good. My my body's looking great. My exercises are great. I'm working out. I'm working eight, 10 hours, 12 hours a day. You know, very good energy, consistent. You know, my mental, my mental energy is good too. So it's a diet I'm gonna continue. And it's cheap too, honestly. <laughs> Pound of ground beef, about 250 over here in Florida. <sighs> Tell you what, it's nice. So I'm going to continue to, the only thing I'm missing right now, honestly, is gosh, I miss raw milk. I miss raw milk so bad. That's like the one thing I'm like, <laughs> right now I'm eating ground beef, I'm eating rice, I'm eating butter, <clears throat> fruit. But if there's and a little bit of cheese here and there, but if there's one thing I miss, it's that raw milk, baby. Oh. 16, uh, 16 bucks a gallon, so it ain't cheap. But God, is that just so delicious. Oh my gosh. But yeah, guys, that just upset me seeing that McDonald's and just thinking, man, what are we doing? Where's the common sense here? There has to be a line in the sand. And if we're actually trying to make people feel better and actually trying to heal them, which again, I don't think the hospital is always incentivized to really heal people. It's kind of incentivized to treat people. But healing people, well, that would mean that they don't have to come to the hospital anymore. And that means no more money for MRIs and scans and tests, medications, vaccines, right? If people were really healthy, well, a lot of the demand for the, some of those things would go down. And while well, the hospitals, they wouldn't, they wouldn't make as much money. So unfortunately, there is incentive to not really heal people. And that's, you kind of have to understand that that's just kind of the reality of the system. And it's kind of the way it's probably just gonna be because it's kind of the same thing. It's like with Apple, right? There was all that talk about how they, you know, purposely make their phones kind of go bad after a certain time. So you go back and buy another one. So, you know, it's a way for businesses to stay profitable and that's just kind of the reality of of capitalism, which I still think is the best system we have. I don't think it's perfect. I think it has flaws, absolutely. Greed being the major one, which again, when people get greedy, what do they do? They will you know, put other people's lives in jeopardy 
for the sake of profit. And that's what a lot of hospitals do essentially to, they don't really want to heal and cure you because that means you won't be back to use more medical equipment and get more surgeries. You know, <laughs> if you, uh, it's funny as if a new surgeon moves into a new town, right? The amount of surgeries go up, right? Cause there's a new surgeon and the new surgeon, well, he wants to work. He, she wants to work. So they might encourage maybe surgeries that don't really need to happen because that's kind of the way they make their living. So of course they're going to sell you on that. So if you're ever going to get surgery, by the way, I would, the surgeon's always going to tell you it's a great idea because <laughs> they, they, they're excited. They want to do what they were trained to do. They want to get in there and cut you up, <laughs> but I would definitely seek a second opinion of somebody who is not a surgeon who can say, Hey, may, do we really need the surgery? Maybe there's a way we can heal this in a different way because the surgeon is going to want a surgeon. <laughs> so yeah, I feel like that's kind of the danger in the medical field. We just really have to be looking out for ourselves. I know that we want to trust our doctors and that we want to trust these people. I'm not saying not to, but I'm saying you have to understand the incentive model in place is not really to heal you. It's for the surgery to happen that maybe doesn't need to happen. I mean, there are plenty of surgeries that do need to happen. And we're, I mean, I'm thankful we have surgeons to, to do those surgeries, but you just have to be on guard for, is this really necessary or is this just the way of this person, you know, making money on surgery or is this just a way for the hospital to make money on medication? Is this just a way for the hospital to continue to profit off of my misery? Because they they're not, they're not going to tell you that. No individual doctor is going to say, yeah, we profit off your misery. But that's the reality. If everyone was healthy, I mean, doctors wouldn't have jobs. Right? So they do profit off your misery in the same way a cop profits off of crime. Because we know crime is going to happen. So, of course, we need doctors. We need cops because we know crime is going to happen. We know human nature dictates that crime will always be an issue just as health will always be an issue for humans. So we need those people in place. I'm not saying we shouldn't have those people. I'm just saying you got to look out for yourself and you got to really get multiple opinions and you got to really think, you know, this doctor is going to prescribe me this medication. Do I really need this medication? Maybe there's another way, you know, seek an outside opinion. Seek, you know, if you have a, a typical doctor at a hospital, go find their counter opposite, find their a holistic doctor and say, Hey, give me your opinion as well. And you know, maybe the holistic doctor will actually agree with the main doctor and be like, yeah, you really do need that surgery. Okay. You go get that surgery. But maybe the holistic doctor says, Hey, look, I actually have a different way. We're going to, we're going to try this other thing. We're going to try some, some traditional, you know, Chinese type medicine, or we're going to try a drug that's a low cost drug that the hospitals won't, won't use, or we're going to use something else to, you know, not have to go this more painful route with more consequence. And then you can kind of weigh your options. So I'd, I would highly suggest anyone, if you're considering any sort of major, major decision in terms of your health, like seek the counter opposite opinion of a regular medical doctor, seek a holistic doctor, get their opinion, and then weigh the two and then make your own decision. Great example of this. I was just watching a video the other day from one of my favorite, favorite YouTubers, who I'm suddenly, of course, blanking on the name of right now. <laughs> I'll have to think about it in the next podcast. Dr. Eric Berg, I think is his name. Great, great guy. More, again, very knowledgeable on just like a medical doctor would be, but also trained in holistic Chinese medicine. I was just watching a video the other day on 
a man who had stage four cancer. Now your typical medical doctor is going to tell you, well, you're, you're going to die. Like we could try some chemo to keep you alive a little longer, but like, you don't, you don't got, you know, my, my, prepare your will, prepare your last arrangements. Like you're going to die. That's what the medical, that's what a medical doctor would tell you, or they'd prescribe some, some medications to you or, or whatnot. Right. But what's crazy is, so this, this guy, he actually, you know, did what I was, I'm saying to do right now. So he, he heard the medical doctor's opinion saying, yeah, you're going to be dead in a couple months, make your last arrangements. And he said, you know, I'm going to look, I'm going to look elsewhere. I'm going to look for a more holistic, traditional approach. And he started to research and he started to look for people who were maybe not, you know, quote unquote, uh, looked at highly in the regular medical scientific community. And he found some people who had success eliminating their cancer through fasting. <clears throat> fasting is typically not something you will see advertised or talked about by your typical medical doctor. It's not something they will mention because they don't they don't make money off you fasting. <laughs> if you if you're able to heal your gut disease or like for example, I was able to heal my lactose intolerance by fasting, intermittent fasting. Right? Nobody makes money off that. The doctors don't make any money off you intermittent fasting. It's not a it's not a drug that you can take. It's not a surgery you can have. It's not a test. They don't make money off that. So there's there's not going to be a whole lot of talk of, hey, maybe you should try fasting in the medical field, at least from, from what I've experienced. Maybe there are places where it is more accepted. So this guy basically <clears throat> only ate a certain group of foods. Typically, he said he said he ate certain vegetables, onions, garlic, which are natural antibiotic type foods to help fight cancer. And he also went through actually prolonged periods of fasting. He said that he fasted, I think he did a 14-day fast. He then did a 21-day fast. I think he did upwards of a 40-day fast, which is which is crazy. I wouldn't, I'm not recommending anyone go do a 40-day fast anytime soon, right? Not recommending that. But obviously, this man had stage four cancer. He didn't really have a lot to lose. He was gonna, the medical doctors told him he was gonna die. So he looked at traditional Chinese type, you know medicine and said, Hey, look, fasting is one of the most, the most healing types of things that you can ever do for your body. It's incredible. Like you can heal. There's actually, I watched a documentary once I'm on a fasting center, I think in Germany or it was in Russia where people go and stay at this resort for about two weeks. And they have, you know, doctors monitoring everyone every day and they go through prolonged fasting two, three, four weeks. And a lot of people are healed. They're healed of their whatever disease they came in with. They're healed through a prolonged fast. Now, of course, they're monitored and, you know, making sure they're hydrated and they're watched because obviously you can have some adverse effects from fasting. You can it cause you to faint. You can have low levels of certain, you know, it can be a rough adjustment too early on. You know, there are different, thing, different things you have to watch out for. Your electrolytes get really low. So it's something that you definitely need to like have someone monitoring you. I'm not, I'm not here advising anybody to go do a fast on their own, especially a prolonged fast. Make sure it's, make sure you're being monitored. Make sure you have people around who can watch and take care and make sure that the fasting doesn't go too far. Cause I did, I did know a friend who did take the fasting too far. She went on a, a very prolonged fast too, too long for what she really needed. Cause she wasn't at that point in any sort of I'm not even sure why she did it in the first place because she did. She wasn't in. She didn't have a disease. She didn't have anything she needed healing from. I think she just did it just to see if she could, which 
I wouldn't advise anyone doing prolonged fasting just to see if you can. I would not recommend that. Make sure there's a purpose and an intention behind it. And I think she she had some issues for, for a while. I think she's okay now, but um, it definitely messed with her. She took it way too far. So, But this guy, obviously, he's got nothing to lose, stage 4 cancer. So he he does prolonged fasting, monitored. And, you know, and of course, I'm sure he, he ate foods in between. I don't know how perfect he was on his diet. I don't know if he had days where he, you know, ate donuts anyway just because for the hell of it or if he you know how disciplined he was with it but this man was healed of his cancer stage four through multiple prolonged fasts right now if he had just accepted the medical doctor's point of view and just said oh yep i'm gonna die make my last arrangements maybe do my chemo live a live another few months and then die i mean that could have that could have been what happened but he chose to get the opposite opinion of a, of a regular medical doctor, knowing that the incentive model for a medical doctor is not really, unfortunately, to really heal you over the long term. And a lot of them aren't trained in holistic medicine. And he was able to find some people that are and was able to, you know, with proper monitoring, attempt some of these fat. And it worked. It worked for him. And it's not to say that it's going to work for everyone. But one of the first things I hear whenever I hear somebody has a, uh, someone who knows who has, who has cancer or a family member who has cancer, the first thing I tell them is, look, I'm not a medical professional and you're, you're probably not going to listen to me because I'm not, I don't have all these crazy credentials, uh, which is sad that unfortunately a lot of people who have these credentials aren't really looking out for your best interests and or aren't really that smart about some of these things. Um, I know more about some of these things than, than they do. And I, I, first thing I say is, hey, look, if you do a 48-hour fast before doing chemo treatment, that can significantly reduce the amount of good cells that are killed by the chemo because chemo kills the bad but also kills the good as well. So it kills the body. But if you do a 48-hour fast leading up to chemo, then it puts your body in a protective state where the cancerous cells are more exposed because they feed off of glucose which your body produces through any food you eat. Your body will you know, turn it into glucose because your blood needs glucose and other bodily functions need glucose. And that's what cancer cells feed on. So if you do a fast 48 hours before a chemo treatment, then it puts, your, it puts the good cells in a protective state and it exposes those cancerous cells. So the chemo is not going to harm as many of your good cells. Right. So I always tell people that. Now, I doubt anyone ever listens, <laughs> to be honest, because, again, they're wanting to trust their medical professional, what whatnot, which is, you know, fortunately, we've been programmed to just accept that as gospel. Um, but hopefully some do and reap the benefits of you know being in a fasted state. And I, I'm someone who I use intermittent fasting. I used it to heal my lactose intolerance. It's something I still incorporate today. I usually fast for a minimum of 12 hours every single day. I usually have a three-hour period after I wake up where I usually work out on a fast, and then I don't eat till later. So I'm getting at least a minimum 12-hour fast. To me, that's that's the minimum that I'm, I'm pretty much always going to do the rest of my life just because that's when you get an increase of HGH production after that 12-hour mark, and you just get, you know, your body gets a chance to heal, gets a chance to to cleanse, to, to do its work. So I'm all, and I've, you know, obviously in the past I've done fasts where I've done them for 
you know, longer, you know, more of 16, 18 hour type fasts. And I do do those occasionally. Right now I like a nice 12 to 14 is perfect for me with the amount of calories I need to eat in a couple of meals because I usually just have two meals a day. You know, about 12 to 14 hours is perfect for me. It doesn't affect my day in a negative way. I'm not too hungry. And I know that I'm getting a lot more a lot more cleansing of my body during those 12 to 14 hours because it's, you know, there's not necessarily glucose in the, in those moments. Well, there's, there is some glucose actually, cause your liver stores some. So I'm not getting into as much of a fasted state as you would need to, if you really need to do some serious detoxifying, you'd obviously need to go long enough to where your liver burns off all your excess glycogen. Your liver holds about 2000 calories worth of glycogen as a backup. And then, you know, before it starts breaking down your fat stores. So in order to get into, you know, if you had more of a serious condition, you'd have to go a little longer, two, three days to get all of those clo- those calories, those that glucose cleared out of your liver before your body would start and then tapping into your, your fat stores. And that's when you'd get more of that, a more of a healing, healing process taking place as your body has to use scar tissue for fuel, has to, you know, use, has to get the arteries clean, has to, it just, all these processes come into place when you're fasting, that your body just has to be in a more focused, alert state where it starts to just like, okay, we got to take care of stuff. Let's, it's like house cleaning. <laughs> it's like when you have guests come into your house all the time, all like every day, like you never have a chance to clean or really, you know, get the, get the deep stains out of the bathtub or right. But once, Hey, you know what? You know, Christmas is over. All, all the family goes home. You're by yourself. Well, all, all of a sudden, Hey, now you can, you know, deep clean the bathtub, you can reorganize the pantry shelves, you can, uh, you know, go out and power wash the, the grime off your, your back patio, right? It gives you time and space to really take care of those like things that would never get taken care of had, you know, you continue to have just guests over all the time. And your body is the same way. Your body is like, sweet, okay, we know we don't have all this food we're constantly digesting. Let's go take care of some stuff. Let's let's clean out some of the cholesterol in the arteries. Let's let's fix up some of those arteries that got nicked. Let's let's use up some of that scar tissue as fuel. Let's start to you know correct some of these this insulin resistance or lack of sensitivity we have. Let's start to correct that. Let's you know your body kind of starts to become a cleaner. Starts to become a yeah a cleanser of your of your body, and that is from fasting. So. I, I use that example as just, you know, you need to seek other opinions. You need to think about things beyond just what a medical doctor is telling you. You need to understand the limitations of a medical doctor. And they are very smart people. I'm not saying they're not smart. I'm not saying they're not intelligent. I'm not saying that they don't have great ideas. But if you're not seeking a second opinion from someone who is outside of that field, outside of that incentive model, then you are going to be missing out on some serious health benefits. And if you're listening to this podcast, well, guess what, guys? You are listening to somebody who is outside of the medical, you know, doctor field. I have not been trained at a university. I don't really have any desire to be trained at a university. I don't see that I would be taught correctly. Um, some things I would be taught correctly. I'm sure if, you know, if I, in order to save someone's life, CPR and certain medications to like start their heart again or the different that stuff obviously I would be happy to learn that because that's stuff that will save someone's life who's dying you know obviously so 
there's a lot of benefit in that way. And obviously there's emergency surgeries that doctors do that save people's lives, right? An artery, they have to dig in and like clamp an artery or do different things. So there are definitely plenty of things that you're being, that are being taught that for emergency situations are fantastic and save a ton of lives. I just think their overall preventative care for disease is lacking. And so definitely, you know, keep listening to my podcast and seek other opinions on that so that you can get the full picture and make a better decision. I still kind of regret to this day. I ended up opting to get my knee surgery because again, my surgeon was pretty excited about it. (laughs) And unfortunately at the time I was sort of put in a tough spot because you know, I had this infection in my knee and I would have loved to take the time, you know, cause they did some tests to find out what type of bacteria it was. And so I knew that I knew like which antibiotics to take to like kill that bacterial infection. I want, I personally wanted to wait till the results came back to then, you know, take whatever specific antibiotic would kill that certain infection in the knee. And by the way, I'm not a big fan of, I say antibiotics are a last resort, absolute last resort. If you are taking antibiotics for like small things, like it will come back to haunt you. Like antibiotics are very they're similar to chemo. They wipe the good and the bad out. They set your immune system back years. Only do antibiotics if it's absolutely necessary. Unfortunately, people overuse antibiotics all the time. And yes, does it get rid of things a little faster? Sure, but you're making more sacrifices in the long term. I've had multiple staph infections that I could have gotten antibiotics, but I chose the harder route. I chose to, you know, use some more medicinal type uh, healing. Actually, I fasted. That was one of the things I did. So I actually, I got a staph infection on my arm that actually started spreading up to my upper arm. And, you know, 99.9% of people would have gone and got antibiotics and would have cleared it up. And I'm not saying that wasn't on the table for me, but I was like, you know what, before I go that route, because I know that's going to set my immune system back a number of years and it's going to be tough not to get sick a couple, you know, those next couple years after the antibiotics have wiped out my immune system. Let's, let's, you know, maybe go a little tougher here, but for just being less sick down the road. So I actually fasted. I did a three day fast uh, in combination with, I actually created my own. I used a black charcoal with coconut, coconut oil mixture, and I combined apple cider vinegar with it and made it a little bit of a, a paste. And then I rubbed that paste onto my staph infection and actually would dry over my staph infection, creating almost a liquid bandage on it. And that would kind of protect it from spreading, right? Because staph, it like, you know, breaks and pusses and then spreads. The oil can spread around your arm. So I needed something that would keep it dry and would keep it protected from spreading. And so I would, you know, cover myself in this ointment and then I'd keep, you know, reapply once a day just to make sure any spots had kind of like gotten loose, I'd reapply. And, you know, I wore clothes over it and stuff, so no one really, like, knew. And I remember, actually, I still worked during that time, too. I had I had was working at the theater, and I still had some shifts. And I did a three-day fast, and it was rough, guys. I'm not going to lie. It was not for the faint of heart. It was it was hard to see all this food and, and not eat it. But I fought through, and my staph infection went away on its own. I think I had it one more time, a little more minor, and I did the same thing. Used my same paste, fasted. Again, and I haven't had any issues with that since. It's been a number of years. So that's just an example of of just a way in which you can, you know, look at other ways. And again, I, I do think long term I'm going to be better off because I chose to rough it a little bit more in the moment 
you know, I want that long-term benefit over the short-term, you know, let's take antibiotics and have it over in two days kind of thing. Like I took a harder route. I'm okay with that. I'm kind of, that's kind of the way I am. I'm always looking towards the long-term and I'd rather, I'd rather have a great, great long-term than, you know, I'll make some sacrifices in the short-term for a much better long-term. That's kind of the way I've always thought about things. And so, um, that's not something that most people uh, would have done. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> In fact, I had many people telling me you need to go get antibiotics and they were kind of freaking out. And I was like, Hey, look, I know what I'm doing. I researched this a lot. This is bacterial infection. I know how it works. Bacteria feed on the glucose. I'm going to fast. I'm going to keep it covered up and voila. And I think I also consumed like garlic and things like that during that time as well as a little extra like antibiotic kind of uh, fighter, you know, a natural antibiotic that doesn't become resistant like the antibiotics you were given your body becomes resistant to them they stop working over time especially if you abuse them so it's just an example of just think about other things and give other styles of medicine a chance that's all i'm saying whether it's fasting i mean fast i've used fasting in a lot of different ways and it's i mean use it to heal my staph infection use it to get back my lactose intolerance um, it's something I do go to. If I do get sick, sometimes I will, I will consider, it depends on what type of sickness I'm dealing with. If it's more of a virus and not a bacterial, then I won't, I typically won't fast right away. I'll kind of, is it with the virus? Virus is a little differently. You don't have to worry about, it's not feeding on the glucose per se, and you want to have kind of energy to fight it. So it's not always a good thing with a virus to go to do a fast, right? It's, it's more of, it's more of a, if you have a bacterial infection, then that's when it, that feeds more on the glucose. And that's when you want to incorporate more of a fasting when it comes to that kind of infection. So got to be wary of that. But guys, again, I'm not a medical doctor. It's not medical advice to your own research. I'm just a guy who loves to research this stuff and just tries to find the most accurate information possible and tries to provide you with the information that's going to heal you in the long term and leave you living uh, the happiest life that you possibly can. So that's, so that's what I'm trying to do. And that is all I got for you on this podcast, guys. Thank you for joining me. I hope you learned a lot of awesome things. And I hope you learned to think for yourself and to seek other opinions, guys, and just not accept what the maybe government and or certain entities are telling you is true. Because I believe that a lot of times <laughs> it tends to be the opposite sometimes. All right, that's all from me, guys. Thanks for listening. I'll see you on the next one.